Well, hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in this fair country of ours, otherwise known as these United States of America. Welcome to uh, the Tuesday edition of the Sea Report. Coming live to you on this um, Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are looking forward to bringing you an excellent show this afternoon. Let me go ahead and make sure we got all systems. Oh, all the systems are... are, They are all working, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, cool. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Um, All right. So uh, here's what we got going, guys. Uh, We're doing a show a little bit earlier today, so I hope you guys don't mind it. And uh, we are ready and rolling. Uh, with a pretty full report. Now, we had a pretty full report and a pretty full day yesterday. Um, That was on Monday. We had the Otero County, New Mexico um, uh, audit results hearing. And it was a pretty good hearing, guys. Still working on getting that episode clipped out. We'll probably do that a little bit later on tonight, uh, you know, in my off time after dinner and whatnot. But uh, good stuff, guys. Good stuff. And I expect to hear a lot coming out of there. You know, uh, the hearing itself was just so concise and it was just so well put together. And, you know, it was it was uh, it was scheduled for two hours. It ran into three hours, but that's only because, of course, we had. Uh, citizen engagement, we had questions, we had a couple of trolls, and we had one really uh, seemingly guilty uh, uh, county clerk, election clerk in the audience. Uh, They just kept on, you know, interrupting and asking questions, etc. But yeah, it, it was not a hearing to audit the auditors. Of course, it was a hearing to give the results of their audit findings. And boy, uh, were those findings uh, uh, in plurality, ladies and gentlemen? Most definitely they were. And uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, oh, you can go ahead and check out the Otero County, New Mexico um, audit results hearing uh, on the replay from yesterday's show. Uh, we did a separate entire uh, um, live stream for that. You can check that out at foxhole.app or rumble.com or over at Clout Hub. Uh, If you're uh, watching us and or you're coming across this broadcast in a replay, uh, please make sure you follow and subscribe and uh, you can keep up to date with everything that uh, I offer here at the Sea Report, bringing you citizen-led broadcasting uh, with news reports and stories that are uh, primarily America first with a concentration on election integrity and, of course, election fraud. Exposure, ladies and gentlemen. Very important, very important. Uh, that is one of my shticks here because, you know, I kind of just have latched onto that as a main vein. After all, if we don't have a vote, we don't, we don't only not have a voice. Was that a double negative? Anyways, we don't only not have a voice. We don't only not have a choice, but we also don't have freedom. Uh, We also don't have sovereignty uh, and we lose all of our liberties and our rights, God given as they are, because, well, apparently uh, man just seems to think that they can do whatever they want with it. And they will, ladies and gentlemen, don't be mistaken. They will, if they can get away with it, oh, they will get away with it, ladies and gentlemen. 
so absolutely, absolutely, uh, that is uh, that is why that's our shtick, you know? It's like one of the heads of the Hydra, right? Like funding would be one of them, so then you'd want to address the central banks, right? And now we know that as far as funding and money goes, I mean, uh, it's a huge, huge web out there, but uh, if easy enough to understand, right? Uh, after all, when we are getting taxed on uh, what we are um, what we are earning to live, and then we are getting taxed to death by inflation, and then all of the other taxes that they're doing, uh, well, let's just chalk it up to the Federal Reserve Central Bank, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, they, they were on the ropes for a minute, but, uh, you know, now they've had some time to recover. We're talking like, what, the last uh, almost year and a half? That they've had some time to recover from all of the uh, all of the uh, the hits that they were taking from the Trump administration, and uh, all the hits that they were taking from his deregulation, and all the hits that they were taking uh, from bringing back manufacturing, etc., and um, jobs, and all of that good stuff. You know, it just was not serving the purposes of the Federal Reserve Central Bank. But of course. If you know a little bit about that head of the Hydra, the Central Bank of America, uh, otherwise known as the Federal Reserve, and uh, we all pretty much understand its history and its meaning, etc., you know, uh, well, you know, then we could understand that uh, they are unconstitutional, and uh, that includes their darn IRS, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, they most definitely are one that needs to go. Uh, after all, they've already violated their charter uh, several times over, I should say. Uh, well, to be to be truthful, at least historically speaking, they've always kind of violated their charter, right? Their charter was to uh, ensure that Americans are employed and ensure that inflation is nil, right? Uh, and so, you know, if you think about uh, between 1913 and today, oh, they they have always violated their charter. I mean, how many recessions have we been through, Federal Reserve, Central Bank, and you didn't do your job? But guess what? Nobody cared about those um, recessions. Nobody cared about those depressions because we had enough things to deal with. We had enough on our mind, what with wars and Great Depressions and Dust Bowls and, uh, uh, you know, uh, terrorist attacks that just happened to uh, strike our capital. That has been their main mechanism. If you guys couldn't tell, yeah, my main shtick used to be that head of the Hydra, the Federal Reserve Central Bank, because I was always of the mind, hey, if we take care of that, boop, lop it off, you know, and we take care of the income tax and get it out of the way. Uh, well, then all of a sudden, all of the uh, money that they're stealing from us wouldn't go to their dark projects and their dark whatever and their black money sites and wherever it is that the interest that we pay off on the money that they create for us out of uh, zero value just to enrich themselves. Oh, what a Ponzi scheme that is. Let me see if I can get someone to buying into uh, using this currency that I create from paper printed. And, uh, you know, and then I'll charge them interest on it, but they're going to have to come back to me to get more of that printed paper currency that has zero, zero value uh, backing or safeguarding its worth uh, that except for the faith of the people that use it. Exactly, folks. It is a crazy Ponzi scheme. If you want to call it a pyramid scheme, I guess you could. I guess that would be fitting for all the symbology that those types uh, tend to uh, run around with and paint and draw and illustrate themselves with. But if you couldn't tell, 
that used to be my main shtick. I mean, that is the exact thing that woke me up, or it caused me to awaken. Ladies and gentlemen, it caused me to awaken. But now, now, election integrity, our vote, obviously, is right up there, guys. It's right up there. Um, I mean, because our vote is uh, more than representative of a choice or of democracy, right? In this country, in these United States of America... Our vote is representative of our freedom, our liberty, our sovereignty, our God-given rights, which it's, you know, kind of a shame that we live in a world where we have to have a political or an electoral or even a piece of paper that says you have God-given rights, so carry on, right? But it seems that is the kind of world that we live in, and it seems that, um, well, you know, uh, there was a vision of our founding fathers that wanted uh, to get that recognized, uh, considering all of the uh, empires and kingdoms and autocracies and theocracies that had ruled the world, hence prior to. Anyhow, guys, so, uh, well, I don't really know why I just spun off into that. Uh, well, you know, yeah, yeah, actually, that is a pretty good uh, introduction to what we've got on the menu for tonight, what stories we will be sharing with you guys today. Um, you, of course, we will have a, a couple, a few um, election integrity and also election fraud stories for you guys in the works, uh, but um, a top and center most of all for today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is going to be a story about the sovereignty of this nation. The sovereignty of this nation, you say, what are you talking about, Mr. C? Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, over the weekend, uh, well, maybe it was going back until about Friday, it was brought to my attention that uh, there is a possible takeover by the World Health Organization of not just the nations of this planet, but also this nation, right? These United States of America. And, uh, you know, I had seen something about that in all of my searches and all of my, uh, you know, uh, perusing and meandering and wandering through the interwebs. Didn't cue into it, though. No pun intended. And, and then it was brought to my attention again. So I was like, I need to find out what this is all about because, you know, Shortly thereafter, I started hitting the search uh, search engines, okay? Could find nothing. Then one of my audience members uh, tipped me off. It was about uh, losing our sovereignty and the World Health Organization taking over. So I was like, okay, well, that's kind of another way to start, okay? So uh, I refined my searches, ladies and gentlemen, and yes, I did find it. Y'all better believe it. Now, some people would say, I don't think that the United States of America would ever hand our sovereignty over to some kind of, uh, you know, um, a hyper, uber, uh, a governmental uh, world you know, a power. Well, apparently, uh, you might have forgotten that we're uh, working underneath a uh, fraudulent uh, administration, uh, something otherwise known as the illegitimate Joe Biden regime, ladies and gentlemen. And so you better believe that they would try and hand the sovereignty of these United States of America over to someone like the World Health Organization, okay? 
so I don't know. You know, uh, it's uh, I've got all of the supporting documents, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, that's why I've got the capital switchboard number back on the screen for today, uh, because we have about meh, two weeks or so before the World Health Assembly convenes. Yes, it's happening on uh, May 22nd through the 28th, if I'm not mistaken. And they will be voting on the amendments to the International Health Regulations Act of 2005, which already snared the United States of America in their clutches as far as, you know, um, uh, going along to getting along to uh, allowing the uh, World Health Organization to uh, uh, do certain things within the international community. Yes, that's right, guys. We're already part of the snare. Uh, it just seems that the illegitimate Joe administration has uh, created some amendments to the International Health Regulations Bill, Act, Treaty, whatever you want to call it. It's the only way that they've been able to take away our sovereignty and our rights is through treaties and agreements, etc., 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 because they just cannot seem to get away with uh, really just stripping down or getting rid of our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. So they got to do it another way, right? They got to do it with a contract. Sign the dotted line. This supersedes your Constitution. Well, you know, Americans, particularly awake ones, uh, began to figure that out, you know, I would say at least, at least a few decades ago in mass, you know, a few decades ago, although uh, some of us who have been savvy to all of these things going further back have always known it to be true. I talk about our forebears of, uh, of accurate knowledge and our forebears of, uh, you know, uh, preserving our constitution, restoring our republic, and uh, raising the alarm about what the government has been up to behind closed doors or when no one's paying attention. And in, in regards to this um, IHR, that's right, International Health Regulations uh, Amendments, uh, it was definitely done when no one was paying attention. Because uh, it's not like they could just submit these amendments yesterday and vote on it in two weeks. No, this happened in January, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, the clock is ticking out. If, if anyone wonders why we've had so many distractions, I know I have. I know I have. You know, in the press, um, uh, maybe it's because they need to keep all of we awake Americans tied up. And not paying attention to what's going on behind the scenes, ladies and gentlemen. What documents are they signing? You know, what uh, plans are they plotting? Yeah. Well, it, for me, guys, it is a much about election integrity and the effort to stifle or stymie that knowledge. Uh, but this one is actually rather big as well. Okay. So anyways, we're going to talk about that. That's going to be front of mind today. Like I said, I've got all the documents here. We will go through them and I will show you that, yes, indeed, a crackpot loser like Joe Biden would absolutely sign over the sovereignty of our nation to some international organization. 
And, uh, well, that's happening now, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's go ahead and uh, get going. Uh, thank you all for joining us again. If you're live with us, uh, be you at the Foxhole, be you at Pill, be you at Twitch, be you at Clout Hub or Rumble. We're not running on Odyssey today, but it's all good, guys. It's all good. Um, okay, so let's start here as per the usual. Uh, President Trump uh, leads here at the Sea Report, right? And, uh, well, you know, it appears that we did not have any brand spanking new statements from President Trump today. Uh, not at least uh, anything that was um, in-depth about whatever it is that uh, uh, um, uh, works within his mind. But we did have several... We did have several endorsements. Uh, we won't read all of these, but we'll just kind of go through them real quick so you can get an idea of who DePrez is endorsing. Looks like we have an endorsement from four Congressman Mike Kelly. Mike Kelly. And uh, let's see here. Mike Kelly is a Pennsylvanian. He is uh, currently the uh, representative of the 16th Congressional District. So uh, there you go, an endorsement for uh, Congressman Mike Kelly. Uh, we also have a con uh, an endorsement for Congressman Guy. Jeez, uh, that is uh, crazy. Reschenthaler. Guy Reschenthaler is Pennsylvania's 14th Congressional District representative. So we got one coming in for him. Looks like we're going to have a bunch of Pennsylvanians, a bunch of Commonwealthers, right? Here's another one, Lloyd Smucker, uh, Pennsylvania's 11th Congressional District Representative, is also being endorsed by President Trump. Scott Perry is the 10th Congressional District Representative for Pennsylvania. He has also received an endorsement from President Trump and Andy Barr. Switching up scenes a little bit, uh, he is the 6th Congressional District Representative of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. All right, so there he goes, Andy Barr. And uh, who we got here? Hal Rogers, another Commonwealth of Kentucky Congressional District, this time District 5. He has also received the endorsement of one President Donald J. Trump. Tom Massey, Thomas Massey, pardon me, another one from the Bluegrass State, Kentucky's 4th Congressional District Representative endorsed, and Brett Guthrie, Kentucky's 2nd Congressional District Representative endorsed, and James Comer, I told you guys, President Trump had a, uh, a myriad of endorsements. That's why we're not going through all of them because, um, you know, we couldn't get through the we couldn't get to the uh, WHO um, uh, news last night. We were scheduled to talk about it last night, guys. Uh, so um, we we need to move forward, steady, right? So James Comer, uh, Kentucky's first congressional district representative, receiving that golden ticket, and I think that's it. Yeah. Hey, Grandma, what is up? Anyways, okay, so, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, I go to Liz Harrington's Twitter page uh, to uh, to get myself uh, filled in on all of that information. Uh, but anyhow, as I was saying, uh, yes, uh, that was what? That was like at least 10 endorsements. 
uh, four representatives in upcoming races, Kentucky, Pennsylvania. Uh, all of those candidates, ladies and gentlemen, have received President Trump's complete and total endorsement, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, need we say more, right? Need we say more? So plenty of those there. Man, he must, his hand must have been tired after that, right? Okay, guys, let's go on to our next story before we hit the WHO news. Uh, we have um, um, a story regarding President Trump's big tech lawsuit. That's right, the class action lawsuit. In case you guys had not heard, a judge has dismissed President Trump's lawsuit for censorship and uh, um, partisanship, uh, just uh, being um, really big jerks. <laughs> well, no, this is our First Amendment we're talking about here, guys. This is Section 230 that we're talking about here, y'all. And uh, well, as I said, uh, it seems that a judge has uh, gone out and dismissed his big tech lawsuit. So uh, everyone's got to be wondering, what is going on with that, ladies and gentlemen? Hey, Disco Ball Chaser, what's going on? Thank you for dropping the links in the chat. Tam Growl, what's up tonight? When did you sneak in here, she says. Well, I snuck in about 23 minutes ago. Thank you for gifting the can, my friend. Sean Joe, good afternoon. Good to see you, sir. Just get Mitch out of Kentucky and the Congress. Indeed, indeed. That uh, true words were never said there. Uh, I, I can sense the genuineness of your uh, of your um, your statement there, Mrs. Tam Growl. Get cocaine Mitch out. He's only ever told one good joke in his life, and it was about who Madison Cawthorn was leaking on. Okay, we'll leave that there. We're not talking about that today, guys. Okay, so let's get into this big tech lawsuit that has been dismissed. Did you sign up for this big tech lawsuit? Were you part of the class action that was taking place? Because if you were, you might want to hear this story. Now, I actually submitted... <laughs> Right. Oh, Mr. C submitted his information to take part in the class action. Clearly, guys, um, my uh, my my well-being and my uh, my life was not affected by the censorship that I suffered at the hands of some of these uh, big tech giants. Right. My livelihood was not threatened. I did not lose millions or thousands and thousands of followers. I did not uh, have my income whatever it is, uh, stymied in any way because I could no longer speak with the masses. But, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, if you're looking to get people on your team that you know are going to win, yeah, that seems to be the motus operandi behind President Trump these days. Uh, let's take a look at this article. Judge dismisses Trump's lawsuit against Twitter. Now, it says Twitter, okay? And maybe it says Twitter because Elon Musk, right? And I guess this is the uh, this is the go-getter here, right? This is the headline of all headlines. Everybody, oh, that means that uh, Trump and Elon are going to be at war. Blah, 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 blah. Anyhow, we'll talk about Elon Musk in just a minute. Let's get through this article. Uh, the president accused the social network of violating the First Amendment by suspending his account after January 6th. A California judge on Friday dismissed a lawsuit that Donald Trump filed against Twitter, the latest blow to the president's high-profile battles with major tech companies over their decisions to suspend his accounts in the fallout of the January 6th, 2021 false flag attack on the U.S. Capitol. 
Uh, the lawsuit, which Trump initially filed last year in Florida, along with suits targeting GoOgle and Facebook, was viewed as part of a broader strategy to appeal to conservatives who have long argued that social media companies unfairly censor their viewpoints. The judge's dismissal comes after Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk announced his plans to buy Twitter, taking issue over content moderation decisions he views as limiting free speech and raising speculation that Trump could return to the platform. In the ruling, United States District Judge James Donato rejected Trump's argument that Twitter was operating as a state actor when it suspended his account in January 2021, calling it not plausible. Trump had claimed that Twitter was constrained by First Amendment's restrictions on government limitations of free speech because it had acted in cooperation with government officials. The judge also dismissed Trump's call for a declaratory judgment that Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which says Internet platforms generally are not responsible for what their users post, is unconstitutional. In addition to Trump, the lawsuit named several other plaintiffs who said Twitter suspended their accounts after tweets about vaccines and the 2020 election. Those cases also were dismissed. Trump announced the lawsuit to fanfare during a July news conference at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. And we all remember uh, that. Actually, we uh, broadcasted that live here at the Sea Report when it happened. It says, uh, yet they proved to be powerful political talking points. So, yeah. So, you know, basically, I guess, uh, I don't know. The article kind of reads to me like uh, Trump was using this as like kind of a campaign ploy or like a, uh, you know, something, something to really um, uh, uh, garner more support from uh, his constituents, his, uh, his supporters, the people that um, voted for him and those who might be paying attention to him. Uh, like a political, a political uh, publicity stunt is kind of what it sounds like. It says uh, the lawsuit's dismissal comes as accusations that large tech companies are censoring conservatives continue to be central to Republicans messaging ahead of the midterm elections. Yet studies consistently find that conservative outlets find larger audiences on Facebook than liberal outlets do. Seriously. Well, OK, here. OK, OK. So. All right. OK, now let's let's just let's just debone that sentence real quick. Okay, who wrote this article? I think it's the Washington, the Washington Compost. Oh, it makes sense, doesn't it? For some reason, I thought I was reading an article by the Washington Examiner, and I couldn't figure out why it sounded biased, right, until now. So, okay, yet studies consistently find that conservatives' outlets find larger audiences on Facebook than liberal outlets. Now, that argument is like, it's a, uh, it's, it's a nothing burger, okay? Because just because the Washington Compost, through who knows who did these studies, finds that conservative outlets have a larger audience on Facebook does not mean that everyone wasn't censored or banned, right? Our rights were still violated here, correct? Now, it's not our fault that conservative outlets have larger audiences because they're more popular, because they resonate with people more, and because individuals who are involved in conservative beliefs, you know, America first, 
or Trump supporter, uh, awake Americans, whatever you want to call it. Uh, well, they're more engaged than liberal outlets audiences. So that's uh, that 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 argument for proving that this lawsuit uh, is hindering conservatives and Republicans is really a non-argument. It has nothing to do with the fact that everyone was censored. And just because you still have like what, you know, one or two or three, uh, well, just because Fox News is still on, uh, you know, uh, Facebook and they have a larger audience and engagement than CNN on Facebook does not prove that they still broke the law, violated our First Amendment, and that Section 230 needs to go, you know? I mean, wouldn't do you guys not agree with that? I think you guys do. I think you guys do. You guys see what I'm saying, right? You guys see what I'm saying. Uh, uh, Tam Gral, why would President Trump want to fight against Kofefe? I mean, the bill supports him. Unless you mean, does he want to use Kofefe against or as a, a piece of his arsenal in this lawsuit? I don't know that it could work like that. Uh, Kofefe was just about... Uh, preserving, um, you know, um, preserving um, social media and internet um, uh, communications as part of the presidential record. So Kofefe uh, has served its point, ladies and gentlemen, and it shall continue to serve its, you know, uh, its point as it goes on. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Sean Joe says Nebraska and West Virginia primaries are today. Ah, I heard about Nebraska. I did not know that uh, West Virginia was also at the polls. Well, Godspeed, America first candidates over in those states. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Okay. All right. Let's finish up with this, uh, this uh, bad news here. Uh, Trump has said he will not rejoin Twitter even if he is permitted to uh, when Musk takes over the company. And Musk has officially said that he will most likely reinstate President Trump's account. It says, however, some of his own top advisors are unsure that he will be able to stay away from what was his preferred online megaphone. He owns his own. Uh, he owns his own. The social network. <laughs> OK, Truth Social. Uh, which his advisors say he plans to use, though Truth Social's launch was rocky. Okay, get over it, Washington Compost. Like, uh, how how long ago uh, are you? Yeah, right. Okay, it's it's up and running now, Washington Compost. Okay, it's up and running now. So, uh, yeah, well, there you go on that point. So, again, Washington Compost wants you to believe that, uh, that uh, it was all a political publicity stunt just to uh, garner more loyalty and maybe some new fans, uh, you know, for uh, himself, because uh, I'm pretty sure that they, they work in the, um, in the line of Trump just being a huge narcissistic egomaniac, uh, you know, cult of personality. Uh, the America First Policy Institute, whom was also enjoined in this class action lawsuit and seems to be doing some legal work with the Trump team, um, uh, um, is actually they've they've got a few words to say about that now because you know um, while the case was dismissed, you know that there are always recourses, right? There are always recourses in the uh, the rule of law or at least in uh, the states of jurisprudence. Uh, President Trump's legal team prepares an amended complaint in the lawsuit against Twitter. So it's not over yet. Uh, 
And again, we're focusing on Twitter, but I mean, it was all of them. It was his class action lawsuit. Uh, from the America First Policy Institute, it says, Over the weekend, the Northern District of California Court Judge James Donato presiding granted Twitter's motion to dismiss. The judge ruled that plaintiffs, including President Johnald, Johnald, I said Johnald too, just like that woman over in Pennsylvania, Donald J. Trump, what was she? She was like a clerk that he was endorsing. Anyhow, Donald J. Trump can file an amended complaint by May 27th, 2022. The amended complaint is in the process of being finalized by this date. Uh, while President Trump's lawyers predicted this case was postured to be heard and ultimately decided by the United States Supreme Court, the case filings will be amended and the case will continue to be considered by the district court. The legal team understands an appeal is likely inevitable and are prepared to continue this fight to protect our First Amendment rights against unconstitutional discrimination and censorship. Okay, so the fight is not over yet, as you guys have probably uh, learned as a fact of life. Uh, when it comes to lawfare, it's the long game, and uh, it, it becomes more about endurance <laughs> uh, more than anything, and, you know, maybe also having some deep pockets or good representation, right? Okay, I told you we were going to talk about Elon. Okay, so I didn't want to spend too much time on him. All right, a question of Elon Musk, ladies and gentlemen. A question of Elon Musk. Uh, because like I said, this was, this was a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit uh, against Twitter and Jack Dorsey, against uh, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, against Go Ogle and uh, Susan, I guess, and against, uh, no, no, she's YouTube. It was also against YouTube and Go Ogle, and I don't know the name of Parma, Sanda, Dashila, uh, blah, 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 blah. I don't know his name. I really don't know his name. Haven't taken the time, nor have I cared to learn it. Uh, you know, I'm surprised I even remember Jack Dorsey. Anyhow, so, you know, um, all of these headlines focus on Twitter, okay? But it was big tech. It was the big tech. In fact, I needed, I had to make sure that that was the lawsuit that we were talking about because um, he's filed many lawsuits in regards to uh, what has been happening with his censorship, the closing of his accounts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, but no, 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 we want to focus on Elon for now, ladies and gentlemen. We want to focus on Elon. And, you know, Elon has become, uh, he's become kind of, um, I don't know. Do we want to just take all the mystique and the mystery and the fun out of Elon Musk, guys? Because we could do it right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> I have a habit of doing stuff like that, but um, you know the 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 rise in enthusiasm for one billionaire, soon to be trillionaire, uh, a son of a, um, a a wealthy family. Uh, uh, the enthusiasm just about exploded, guys. Whenever he decided to uh, you know take over Twitter, um, I mean everyone has seemingly rallied behind the man, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I just don't think that we should throw all of our trusty eggs in one basket. You know what I mean? And I don't think that most of us would do that, right? Uh, I mean, come on, it's Twitter. And uh, has uh, Elon Musk really ever stood as, you know, the bona fide example of a constitution loving um, um, a republic restorationist? Uh, who um, has only called for the prosperity and sovereignty of humanity and of the human race. 
I would say no. I mean, uh, he seems to think that we should merge with machines. Have we forgotten about that, right? You know? And then, of course, if you want to go into into the rabbit holes or down, you know, uh, the pathways of um, of uh, conspiracy theory, as some people would call it, or maybe exopolitical type of topics where we're talking about uh, space and cyborgs and uh, Neuralink and, and things like that. Well, uh, that could take us to another level if we also want to include that, you know, most people in the billionaires club, uh, uh, not only do they subscribe to things such as as transhumanism, uh, but they also subscribe to things that are kind of like a precursor to that whole idea uh, that uh, we are not our own and uh, we should be part of the bigger system. And uh, you know what? Uh, there is no God either. Let's just all run around and be cyborgs, right? Uh, and those are the darker things in life, and we don't uh, we don't refrain from acknowledging their existence here at the Sea Report. After all, whether I believed in it or not, uh, most of these people would still be worshiping Lucifer or Satan or Baal or Moloch or whatever it is that they decide to call their pagan or their satanic or Luciferian god or Babylonian god today. Uh, whatever practices that go along with it, if I don't believe in it, that's not going to stop them from doing it. And, you know, that's kind of something that I learned a long time ago, right? Hey, Deplore Laura, good to see you in the audience today. Awesome. Good to see you as well as UD Patriot 1776. Good evening and welcome in, welcome in. Uh, so as I was saying, guys, as I was saying, uh, with Elon Musk, you know, just considering all of those things, considering, uh, you know, the fabulous photos of his mother with all of her Illuminati symbology and uh, um, um, love for, I don't know, uh, it seems like Masonic type of ideals, y one should really uh, uh, check themselves before they wreck themselves and give their allegiance over to uh, pouring one's personal energy into the troves of Elon Musk's uh, gratuity or his and love for him, guys. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, uh, you know, we wonder about Elon Musk here at the Sea Report. I, uh, I had actually done like a bit of a little rant a few episodes ago, clipped it out. And as a gag clip, uh, the uh, literally it was a gag clip that people tried to call me out on. It was titled, um, Will uh, t uh, Elon Musk's Takeover of Twitter um, Facilitate Neuralink? You know, uh, and it was clickbait, guys. Totally clickbait. I will admit it. You know, it was just to make people go, oh, someone's got the skinny on uh, Elon Musk using Twitter to, to you know, use Neuralink. I, think about it, guys. You got a platform with millions and millions of users. You've got plenty of people there who are... Uh, gullible enough or just go with the moment enough or just enthusiastic about Musk or just enthusiastic about technology or just love their video games and computers and would just love to have it in their head where they could just like kind of, I don't know, bat out of reality whenever they want. Uh, you've got uh, enough, enough accounts on Twitter uh, to where he will have a, he will be able to easily find an audience that might want to participate with Neuralink, right? And then once they're on it, well, you know, their friends are going to be like, oh, well, you know, Joe over there, he got on Neuralink and look at his Twitter account. Look at everything he's doing. That's so pretty cool. But no, then you have all of the information. You have everyone's personal data. You have everyone's personal life stories all there already on Twitter. How convenient, right? But maybe it's, like I said, that was a gag clip, guys. That was a gag clip. That's 100%, if not 1,000% speculation. It's clickbait. I'm just saying it to say it, guys. I'm not saying it's true. 
but, you know, uh, then, you know, when we're thinking about how President Trump's big tech um, um, lawsuit just got dismissed, right? Uh, well, well, and we're, we're talking about, you know, Jack Dorsey, right? And he's like, oh, Elon, my dear old good buddy, old pal, my friend Elon, right? You know, uh, I, I believe in what Elon's doing. I couldn't do it because I was under the pressure of my handlers, but uh, he could do it. And, and you know, I, I just wouldn't doubt if A, maybe uh, Elon Musk might have taken over Twitter. So this way, if uh, any big tech or any responsibility or accountability through the courts were to fall back on Twitter, obviously it would fall back on Jack Dorsey because he was the one who was in charge at that time, especially when we're talking about all the documents, all the communications, all the procedures, all the algorithms that were approved while he was the boss. It stands to reason that Jack Dorsey is the one who would be responsible, not Elon Musk. So Elon Musk's taking over Twitter kind of alleviates Jack Dorsey of that responsibility and uh, maybe prompts judges to say, well, you know, Jack Dorsey and everyone who was at Twitter once is not there anymore. It's, it's, it's Elon Musk. Uh, uh, let's just dismiss this. It's, 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 it makes no, it has no standing now, right? They could have done that. I mean, uh, Elon Musk is going to reinstate President Trump's account, is he not? Oh, I hope I'm not ruining Elon Musk for you people out there. So anyways, those are just some of the thoughts that go through my mind while I'm laying in bed in my sleepless nights wondering about Elon Musk and President Trump. Yeah, right. These guys don't live rent-free in my mind. Uh, let's, let's check it out. So Elon Musk, right? We have questions about Elon Musk. Is Elon Musk a good guy or a bad guy? Well, we have this story here. Elon pays for abortions. Did you guys know that? Did you know Elon Musk is supporting abortions? Now, now I'm just, I'm just laying out facts and I'm just laying out information for all of you guys out there. Okay. And you do with it as you please. If you think he is a hero of the, uh, conservative patriot movement because he is going to uh, bring back free speech to everyone's most favorite social platform. Why anyone would want to go back there, I don't understand unless they just want to relive the glory days. Uh, well, let, let's, let's just throw some of this stuff up on the screen. Elon Musk's Tesla to pay for its employees to get abortions. Texas-based Tesla will pay for its employees to travel out of state to get abortions as Friday reports come from the corporation suggest. The company will be joining a growing number of corporations assisting their employees with killing their unborn children by avoiding local bans on abortion. Tesla has expanded its safety net program and health insurance policy for employees. The program and policy will now cover travel and lodging support for those who may need to seek health care services that are unavailable in their home state. The company's Impact 2021 report released Friday. Tesla's home state, Texas, has one of the nation's most robust safeguards for the lives of the unborn children. The state's strict abortion laws extends legal liability for the murder of babies in the womb to only not only the parents opting for abortion, but also medical personnel assisting with the procedure. OK, so we don't need to go into this at any more length. The guys, uh, all you guys need to know is that is what the uh, fit of the bill is for Elon Musk and his company, Tesla. He will most absolutely pay for your abortion. 
Uh, I think it's like up to $4,000 for travel, lodging, cost of procedures, etc, etc, etc. So I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, abortions seem to fall in line with that whole billionaire club sacrificing children and uh, drinking the blood of babies, etc, etc, etc. Satanic ritual abuse, all that good stuff that no one likes to talk about or acknowledge that it exists to this day still. Doesn't matter if you guys don't believe it. Uh, they still do it, okay? So, uh, well, there's that, Elon Musk. Uh, uh, what else we got on Elon Musk's rap sheet before we uh, get to the WHO takeover? Elon Musk's disturbing dalliance with transhumanism. All right, I don't like anything that has trans in it, guys. <laughs> so uh, let's see what this has to say. All right. Uh, well, let's see here. The whole first five paragraphs of this article talks about him and Twitter, right? And SpaceX, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So uh, it says here, um, many conservatives were excited about the prospect of Musk's new influence at the social media company. Musk has failed to tread lightly after around the ever evolving mores of the modern political left calling COVID-19 lockdown measures fascist. Oh, wait, wait, that must be a good thing, right? He's calling it fascist, right? And uh, publicly supporting Canadian truckers protesting vaccine mandates. That's good. And criticizing Joe Biden's Build Back Better spending bill, right? Build Back Broke. Build Back, uh, what would, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to quote that line. Anyways, okay, so survive as a cyborg. Musk told the World Government Summit in 2017 that as humanity's daily dependence on technology increases, humans should simply merge with machines. To some degree, we are already a cyborg, Musk told the audience at the summit. For Musk, becoming a cyborg, a sort of superhuman with both biological and technological capabilities, is only one step away. We all love a good superhero movie, but anyone who's seen Iron Man knows what happens to the innocent bystanders. Uh, Mary Shelley warned us about this more than 200 years ago, right? Frankenstein monster, oh. Become a human-robot hybrid yourself, Musk argues, and mankind may still end up on top when the inevitable robot wars come. True, if the purpose of humanity is simply mere survival, then why should we not ensure our immortal existence as highly intelligent yet soulless machines? I think one of the solutions that seems maybe the best is to add an AI layer, Musk said, so that we can control you. Ha! Musk said this in an interview in 2016. He says, just as your cortex works sim uh, symbiotically with your limbic system, your third digital layer could work symbiotically with you. On Twitter, Musk announced another method by which he could create symbiosis with machines. Neural lace. Oh, oh, he announced this on Twitter, huh? Neural interlink? Neural interlace? Neural whatever, right? Okay, so yeah, uh, I, I guess my clickbait might be a little bit uh, on the, on the, uh, it might have a catch, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> my clickbait might have had a catch. Science Alert describes neural lace as a brain implant that can augment natural intelligence by hooking us up to the matrix, uh, computers. Musk is, it appears, placing his actions behind his words, naming his son a string of letters and numbers that's more reminiscent of a Star Wars-style robot than a human child. 
Uh, Musk, another tech-obsessed billionaire, uh, Musk founded a company in 2016 to create a chip that would be surgically implanted into the brain. Initially, Musk plans to nobly use this technology to enable someone with paralysis to use a smartphone with their mind faster than someone using thumbs. But Musk shows no signs of halting this innovation after assisting quadriplegics. Musk believes we are likely a simulation in an advanced civilization's high-tech video game. And his brain chip company, Neuralink, could start testing on humans within the year, according to Fortune. Now, okay, okay, okay. I have broken bread with individuals who said, we are living in a video game, and God's name is Steve, and he controls us all. And I was most certain I was speaking with, uh, you know, someone with schizophrenia. <laughs> but it appears that even Musk has this. But I've never looked into simulated reality. Like, I've heard people say that, you know, like, we're living in a simulation. Well, you know, I mean, if you mean that everything is controlled and that we're basically wandering around in someone else's workings, I get it. But I mean... There's a an advanced civilization that's watching us. Is that something like? Is that something like? Whenever they, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, I'm sure they've done episodes on The Simpsons about this, or or maybe it was South Park, right? Where it's all Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Watch Planet Earth, right? Uh, watch these rascally humans as they go about having wars and and doing this and doing that, and you know everyone in the universe is watching them. They're like, hey, you know, I used to think that about uh, about um, a Dark Outpost by that Zuplik guy. I was like, this guy is doing a new show for the uh, for the reptiles in outer space. Anyways, so, uh, yeah, okay, okay, Musk. All right, we live in a high-tech video game. It's like, who the hell is controlling Mr. C? This guy just does not know when to stop being a party pooper. Musk's support for a sort of transhumanist future is in line with that of the World Economic Forum's founder, Klaus Schwab, who wrote a book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, on how the physical and digital worlds could be fused, challenging ideas about what it means to be human. Other than the occasional right-of-center opinion, Musk is a technology-obsessed billionaire with little sense of respect for the inherent dignity of humans as created in the image of God. At best, his philosophy is a decent method of managed defeat to the technological overlords bent on ushering in the era of transhumanism. A headline for a recent article at the Science Times read, Live longer for 150 years in metaverse, but only if you are willing to permanently leave your physical body and become a living app. That is ridiculous. And so that gives me my third theory and or hypothesis about why uh, Elon Musk bought Twitter. Obviously, if, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is already doing Metaverse, uh, Elon needs to get in on this too. Uh, this is very strangely reminding me of an episode of Black Mirror. I don't know if any of you guys saw that show, right, back in the day when I had uh, the network that it appeared on the streaming service, okay? I should say back uh, before I canceled it because I wasn't going to pay for it anymore. Um uh, Black Mirror had an episode just like this. They put the soul of someone into like a game or an app or a device. 
I mean, could you really call yourself living at that point? I wouldn't think so. I mean, I mean, maybe to your friends and your family, oh, look, little Johnny, he's in the app. Let's play with him or, or let's feed him. Or you think it'd be like those little like uh, those little like games that they have where like the kids have to like feed the pet and walk the pet on their little control pad, right? I don't know what it's called. <laughs> oh, no, we forgot to feed little Johnny. He's dead. That doesn't sound too good, guys. That doesn't sound too good. <laughs> Man, and this is what Mark Zuckerberg wants? Is this why he created the metaverse? I have no idea about this stuff, guys. I don't think I'm ever going to plug into any type of virtual reality, not even for fun. Because knowing me, I'd probably punch a hole through the wall or fall off the stool or something like that. Anyways, interesting, very interesting. The, the temptation to be... To be ye as gods and live forever in our own strength is as old as the Garden of Eden. Uh, C.S. Lewis, whom everyone seems to be talking about now, called the progress of applied science his term for technology, man's conquest over nature. Once emancipated from the constraints of nature, Lewis argues, the conditioners see no real limit to their control. As technology continues to advance at a shocking pace, some harbor a not-too-distant hope to finally achieve immortality by the strength of their own genius in a scientific age of limitlessness. It is of the utmost importance that individuals in power possess decent respect for the dignity of mankind, especially insofar as it conflicts with the progress of science. Eternal life is not only worth pursuing if we have any idea of what life really is it is a simulation is it a simulation or a divine miracle musk wants brain implants so we can live forever after all who doesn't want to live forever i mean oh we got to figure out another way to live forever guys because uh they found out about our whole adrenochrome adrenochrome scheme they found out about our our foreskin penis facials okay uh, but Musk never considers if humanity is more than a data set. And the question of life is not merely whether we can keep said data set running. There is a mystery to human life which should remain at the mercy of the creator. So say the writer of this article, Sarah Weaver. This is from The Federalist, guys. So, yeah, you know, Elon Musk and transhumanism. Um, uh, let's just do one more. One more. Okay, one more. Yeah, Elon Musk supports Ukraine. Okay, so Elon Musk. And, uh, you know, I understand that the guy is into science and technology, but uh, he's got to understand what's really going on over there, right? If he's in the position that he is, right, I'm pretty sure he's smarter than your average Hannity. And Hannity knows what's going on over there. He's just a lying, bold-faced operative, okay? So... Uh, it appears that Elon Musk supports Ukraine, which means he supports the globalist, which means he supports Nazis, which means he supports genocide, which means uh, if he thinks that the people or at least some of us don't understand what's really going on, then, uh, you know, he's just uh, totally insulting our intelligence and uh, exploiting that ignorance, wouldn't you say? OK, uh, but but don't worry, guys. Oh, I blinked out for a minute. I'm back. Okay, but don't worry, guys. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure uh, that there is a reverse to this story. So let's just uh, check this out real quick and short. Uh, Elon Musk's Starlink satellites helping Ukraine drones destroy Russian tanks. This was from back in March. I know that wasn't so long ago. But, uh, well, here you go, guys. Uh, Starlink satellites sent into space by Elon Musk's SpaceX are helping Ukrainian military drones destroy... 
Russian tanks and army trucks, according to a report. A Ukrainian air reconnaissance specialist says his military has been operating drones uh, specially fitted with thermal cameras that can detect Russian vehicles at night. The drones are equipped with anti-tank grenades that are launched at their target. Um, let's see here. I don't know, we don't care what the Ukrainian specialist told the Times of London. It says, last month, uh, Musk sent Starlink terminals into Ukraine at the request of Ukraine Vice Prime Minister uh, Mikhailo Fedorov, who has said the broadband internet service keeps our cities connected and emergency services saving lives in the event of outages. SpaceX sent a shipment of Starlink terminals to provide Ukraine with internet access. But as Russia stepped up its bombardment of major cities, Musk and others have cautioned that the satellite signals could turn Ukrainians into targets. Important warning! Starlink is the only non-Russian communication system still working in some parts of Ukraine, so probability of being targeted is high, Musk tweeted. Please use with caution. Okay. And then it talks about Musk having some feuds with the Kremlin officials, and then also, uh, I, I guess... Uh, challenging Vladimir Putin to a one-on-one -on -one fight, right? He's like, I would take Putin behind the woodshed, right? That's what Elon Musk says, right? <laughs> so anyways, but let's just face it, guys. With all of this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, and I can tell I'm ruffling some feathers, okay? <laughs> With all, you know, let's just give every, you know, guys, we, we could do that, right? We could do that. We could do that, right? We could, we could give, Shanjo said, let's give Elon the benefit of the doubt for now. I mean, I am not by any means uh, saying thou shalt not eat at the table of Elon Musk. It makes no difference to me, but I want to give you guys this information. That's what I said when I started sharing this with you. I said, here's the information. Do with it as if thou wilt. Um, but if it sounds that bad that we have to ask to give him a chance, well, maybe uh, that's something that y'all should consider. <laughs> I'm just reading the stories to you guys, okay? I'm not saying whether or not you should love or like Elon Musk. I'm just saying who wants to go back to Twitter. Now, Elon Musk <laughs> is very good at confusing people. I need to reset my clock real quick. So here, Take a look at this brilliant meme that Elon Musk created, okay? Let that let that sit in for a minute, guys. <laughs> The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash the sea report and thanks y'all
I found this rather amusing, guys. I found this rather amusing, right? Right? Is he sending out mixed signals? Whose side is he really on? Is he just trying to uh, protect himself? Did he figure out that there are actually Nazis in Ukraine, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, that guy is, um, um, what is the word? Eccentric, right? He's eccentric. I would say he is, um, he is intellectually eccentric more than actually just eccentric, right? He's got a very eccentric way of thinking, right? I mean, I know several people that I admire that admire him for the way he thinks and stuff like that. And yeah, it's cool. It's whatever. But uh, let, let's just look at the bare bone facts of what he's doing and who he's supporting and what he believes in, right? And then, you know, take it from there. Personally, for everyone, just as everyone has their own personal relationship with spirituality, religion, or God, everyone will have their own personal relationship with Elon Musk. Oh, he's starting to sound like a god, right? Anyways, okay. So um, uh, Elon Musk's makes makes this meme, right? I support the current thing. Everyone in this audience gets this joke, right? <laughs> right? You got this uh, NPC person with the Ukraine flag and all the trans flags behind him. Um, uh, really, they could have put like, you know, like a, a whole lot of other things besides just the flags, right? Because because like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the sleeping Americans go along with anything that they're told, right? Where, where's their, their Antifa signs? Where's their black, right? The black, wouldn't everyone black out? Oh, that was the Black Lives Matter things, right? That they were standing in solidarity with black people. I was like, what are you saying? They're dark as midnight. You can't see them in the room. Why you got to have a black screen, huh? That's kind of, that's kind of not, not nice, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so Elon Musk mocks people supporting Ukraine. Now, this was actually just on the heels of him sending them the Starlink uh, up, upload thing, uh, thingamajiggers, right? That he's uh, he's putting out NPC memes, making fun of people who support Ukraine. Uh, it says uh, Elon Musk has apparently made fun of people supporting Ukraine in its war with Russia by sharing a meme on his Twitter account, mocking people who publicly back different causes online, thoughtlessly, brainlessly, mindlessly, and without other reason than because they were told to or because their friends are doing it. The Tesla CEO shared a popular meme style that features a man holding a Ukrainian flag, which was captioned, I support the current thing, you know, the thing. Behind the man, also known as the MPC Wojak meme, are various LGBTQ plus flag designs. The tweet sent out to his 77.6 million followers instantly gained attention with both positive and negative reactions. At the time of writing, well over 165,000 people liked the tweet, while 13,000 people commented on the post. Uh, while Musk appears to be taking aim at people online who are currently supporting Ukraine, he has voiced his own public support for the country, too. On March 5th, he wrote, Hold strong, Ukraine, and also my sympathies to the great people of Russia who do not want this. His latest tweet stirred up, see that's March 5th, his latest tweet stirred up a big reaction online with a mixture of support and criticism featured within the thousands of comments. Here we have uh, uh, Musk, uh, Musk was himself mocked by a number of people. Uh, we'll go ahead and skip over those. And it says the inclusion of the LGBTQ plus flags in the background didn't go unnoticed by some and uh, whoever that is. Um, says that being LGBTQ isn't a trend and I see where you're coming, but if it's getting too much. 
Huh, you know, I mean, ask everyone who is becoming a drag queen because of RuPaul's Drag Race and ask me whether or not it's a trend, okay? Uh, Turkish entrepreneur and investor, Sirke, we, we don't, you know, we don't care about that, okay. Elon's meme explained. The meme Musk shared appears to mock people who update their social media display pictures with a Ukrainian flag or with other flags relating to LGBTQ issues. But it wasn't just that. It, uh, we know it wasn't just that. It's just that's what he showed. Maybe that's, I guess, what the most recent... Uh, you know, virtue signaling a symbol was or, you know, uh, get go along to get along or, you know, I'm part of the in crowd type of thing, right? This uh, super mass influential popularity contest that everyone is playing with themselves. In the middle of the image is the NPC Wojak meme, which according to knowyourmeme.com is a character meant to represent people who do not think for themselves or are incapable of having an internal monologue. <laughs> the term NPC stands for non-playable character, not not politically correct, huh? And is taken from video game culture. Uh, so there you go, guys. And, uh, well, there is the man himself. All of this, again, relating back to tweet her at some point, guys. But, you know, here's the latest thing, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the latest thing. Uh, it appears that Elon Musk has stepped on somebody's toes, right? Because it appears that now Russia has threatened him. Yeah, Russia. A very interesting, like, uh, thought cycle that's coming off of this, particularly that I noticed. Like, everyone's like, now Elon's going to be on Hillary's kill list. Oh, and they're like, Elon didn't kill himself. And I'm like, mm, but he supports Ukraine. Uh, he wants to investigate into George Soros. Why would Hillary kill him? <laughs> Uh, last I checked, uh, little Georgie Soros was Hillary's grandpa, right? She's like, yeah, Elon. Oh, wait, maybe that is why she'd want to kill him. Oh, well, you know, there goes my thought process. So let's go ahead and check this out. It says, Elon Musk fears his life could be in danger for supporting Ukraine. But this has more to do with Russia uh, and, and maybe, some, some, maybe something else is afoot here, right? It says, uh, Elon Musk, the self-proclaimed free speech absolutist, is worried that the Russian state may exact its revenge for his staunch support for Ukraine in the ongoing conflict. Musk also tweeted about his concerns a few hours ago. If I die under mysterious circumstances, yeah, I guess it could be because of... Uh, wait, 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 let's, let's just read through this article real quick. Since the Russian aggression began in February, Elon Musk has sided with Ukraine and supported their cause in all ways possible. In the early days of the conflict, Tesla told its Ukrainian employees that the company would pay three months of wages if they were called to fight. Uh, and, and SpaceX has also provided satellite internet terminals at short notice to keep services connected in Ukraine. Um, it says here, Russia miffed by Starlink's internet services. So according to the note shared by Musk himself, Russian forces are well aware of Musk's involvement in supplying the Starlink terminals and the role of the Pentagon in delivering these terminals to Ukrainian forces. Thus, Musk have been involved in supplying military communications to forces in Ukraine. The text has apparently been sent by Dmitry Rogozin, the head of the Russian space agency Roscosmos, to the Russian press and goes on to state that Musk will have to pay for his actions. Um, and of course, it also does say here, it has not uh, been possible to verify if the image of, uh, you know, the Russian uh, message um, 
was sent to the Russian media. Uh, regular readers of Interesting Engineering might also remember Rogozin as the person who threatened that the International Space Station could possibly come crashing down over Europe for the United States or the United States. This was because the Russian Space Agency was in charge of keeping the ISS, the International Space Station, afloat and warned of severe con uh, consequences after the United States enforced sanctions on the Russian aerospace industry. But even then, Musk had declared that SpaceX would step in to keep the ISS in orbit if Roscosmos backed out. It could also be that the alleged threat is a response to Musk's challenging Russian President Vladimir Putin for a single duel over Ukraine. He had also gone ahead to say that he would fight Putin left-handed. Many Twitter users asked Musk to beef up his security and take measures to protect himself at all costs. It was only after his mom chided him on Twitter that Musk said that he would do his best to stay alive. Okay, so, okay, so that's a horse of a different color. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a much different horse of a much different color. Um, okay, so... Uh, I, I, this is the story that I heard originally, right? Russia is threatening to kill Musk, okay? Or they're threatening Musk, period. They're threatening him with some type of harm, whether that's uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, financially, or mentally, I don't know. But apparently, uh, you know, um, uh, Roscosmos is uh, saying, hey, you better watch yourself, you know, Elon, right? So anyhow, so yeah, um, that's where I come in with, well, Musk is protecting Ukraine, so why would someone like, you know, Hillary want to kill him? Conversely speaking, I've also read um, that he called for the investigation of George Soros, which is highly understandable why Hillary Clinton would call for his killing if, uh, if he were investigating George Soros. But at the same time, Hillary Clinton, anyone on the left, never came out and said, oh, you better watch your back, Elon. So I don't think it has to do with George Soros and the investigation, unless that's a cover, unless they're using Russia as a cover story for that. But I don't think that's the case either, because after all, apparently this guy from Russia said, hey, watch yourself, Elon. But at the same time, they couldn't confirm it. So this entire thing could be like a psyop. Maybe, maybe the legacy media and the globalist powers don't want the world to know that he stands with Russia and that he's against Ukraine and George Soros. And then it would be like, well, Mr. C, you know those three articles that you read about Elon Musk at the beginning of your report today? You were wrong, Mr. C, you were wrong. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh man. Well, that is Elon Musk. And I spent uh, a little bit more time on him than I wanted to today, guys. We've got bigger fish to fry, and uh, this is we're about to have a big old uh, um, fry out right now, guys. Real quick, let's see what you guys got going on. Hey, Aurelius Locke, what is happening tonight, my brother? How are you doing, my friend? Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, let's see what else we got going on here. Uh, I'm not sure which report you're talking about, Tam Growl, there. That's way out of context. Uh, let's see here. Um, broken Brain Biden. All right. Building back better. I Borg. <laughs> hey, 123 SKG. Good evening. How are you doing? Good to see you, ma'am. Good to see you. Good to see you. 
Um, let's see here what else we have happening before I jump into tonight's main dish. The Lawnmower Man says, Aurelius, reality is stranger than fiction these days. Anyway, indeed it is. Indeed it is. Uh, Dragon X is an awful name for a satellite too. Indeed. Right. Now, I had not heard about that one. Well, hello, Miss Bubbles. How are you doing today? Never put your faith in man, says Bubbles. Well, you know what? That's pretty good and sound advice. Um, and Space Station. God armies are to battle it. Oh, wow. They're going to be fighting the dragon. Is that what you mean, Temgrel? Interesting. There are lots of innocent people in Ukraine who do need help, says Sean Joe. Indeed, there are. Indeed, there are. Um... I mean, there are, there are, but let's face it. Let, well, I'm, I'm just going to say this on that note, uh, Mr. Sean Joe. There are many, many innocent lives that are being lost and many, many innocent lives that need help and saving in Ukraine. But if it's going to their military and their military is made up in part, if not in large part, by active battalions of Nazis, right, who are using these innocents as human shields, don't you think it would only help if he didn't give them the communications to keep in contact with each other? Do you, I don't really think that the Ukrainian government, who is using their own citizens as human shields and as hostages in order for them to get out of the uh, uh, surrounding of Russian troops, right? Because that's what they're doing, literally. That's literally what they're doing. I don't think that they're going to use Starlinks for health services for the plebeian Ukrainian people. It's going to be for them. So I don't, I mean, yeah, there's plenty of innocent people there, guys. But uh, let's face it, if it's for the military and uh, they don't seem to care about their people as has been expressedly um, um, displayed, um, um, I, I don't think that uh, I would be giving any Starlink uh, you know, communications devices to the Ukrainian people or the Ukrainian government, I should say. There are lots of innocent people here in the United States who need help. I'd rather my tax dollars went to them instead of Ukraine. Amen, Patriot 1776 Amen. We are spending billions of dollars over there to support uh, Nazis and their efforts of genocide and, you know, dominating the Ukraine area and being a hub for all these globalists. Why are we sending them that money? Why aren't we using it here in the midst of all of this inflation? Thank you for the cookie, Sean Joe. Much appreciated. Elon said the Ukrainian people deserve to have IN access. Internet access? Well, you know, I mean, we all do. But they're in the middle of a war there. Not saying to give them more money. Saving, uh, saying innocents are always the victims of these deep state criminals. Well, there you go, Mr. Sean Joe. Exactly, exactly. And always will be until they are eradicated from this earth. Ooh, boy. Man, we are piggybacking on each other today, guys. Railing on. Thank you for the 117 gold pills. Hey, Sherry Pittsburgh. What's going on? Thank you for the cookie. 123 SKG. And uh, yeah. Oh, this story scares me. Oh, you guys ready to get into who? Who? Who are we talking about? All right, guys. And uh, thank you again for the cookie, guys. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and get this story underway, ladies and gentlemen. Now, like I said at the beginning of today's show, I heard whispers and rumors about something about this going on, right? Who is going to perform a coup against United States sovereignty and its imminent? Uh, they're about to take over the United States. The United States is handing over its sovereignty to the World Health Organization, 
And this was right. When did when did I see this? This was right, right with um, um, the election integrity, right with the um, uh, the Roe v. Wade thing, right in that area. I saw something about it, um, and it didn't. I, I didn't catch it because you know I'm I'm thinking COVID nineteen type stuff, news and information. And then I was prompted again about it, you know, uh, and I was like, oh, well, uh, someone as no one's talking about this. I, I was for sure people would be talking about this. OK. Uh, and, and so uh, getting into my searches. Right. Can't find it. And I believe it was one, two, three SKG who told me it was about the United States sovereignty and who. So refining my search terms around that, I was able to find the documents that support this. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is true. Now, here is the preface of this entire situation, okay? Uh, what it is is that there is an international treaty or document or agreement that was signed in 2005 called the International Health Regulations. Now, the document itself uh, has provisions for um, um, health emergencies like pandemics and the involvement of nations in coordination with the World Health Organization and the allowances of said World Health Organizations working within uh, the separate nation states or nation parties or state parties, as they call them, so that they can go in there and they can work with them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the United States has been part of this agreement since 2005. So, you know, one might uh, stop and say, you know, it would make absolutely no sense for the United States to surrender their sovereignty to an international agency um, um, because that just seems like uh, that makes no sense. You know, the World Health Organization, it deals with health, it deals with pandemics, it deals with medical emergencies worldwide, etc. It makes no sense when what have we been dealing with for the last two years, just about. We've been dealing with just that. We've been dealing with exactly what the World Health Organization is intended to uh, assist with, right? And then if you also couple that with the notion that our rights and our constitution have been ebbed away throughout the years and decades by treaties, agreements, contracts, etc., and we very well know that it has always been the goal of the globalists to somehow... Um, um, take over the United States and totally trample on the sovereignty of itself as a nation. Nay, that's what they do to all the countries out there, guys. That's what the globalists do. They're all about, um, you know, um, um, uh, destabilizing countries and then um, uh, taking over their government by way of treaty or agreement or financial contract and making them subservient to a central authority. That's been their game the whole time. So it kind of stands to reason that this could happen. And it kind of stands to reason that the United States of America would do something like this. And then let's just not forget that Joe Biden is, you know, the, uh, the clown in charge right now. So, duh, yeah, they're going to get away with everything that they can while he is still in that position, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I guess the caveat to this is that the World Health Organization would not, in fact, 
um, be able to claim sovereignty over the United States of America unless there is a worldwide medical emergency or a pandemic or a health emergency uh, that could stand to threaten the globe. In other words, the who has to be able to get involved. But, you know, again, considering the whole COVID-19 sham pandemic that we have just experienced, that idea is not so far out of reach, especially when we're also remembering and recalling that, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, uh, even though uh, pretty much no one in the world believes in this whole uh, pandemic that they threw upon us to drag us into whatever schemes of world domination that they have, that they're trying to do it again, right? They're trying to give us more variants, and they're, they're trying to initiate a pandemic and a lockdown once again, which means that uh, this uh, document could very well do just that and take away the sovereignty of our country. But not just that, guys. Joe Biden's not a selfish man. You know, um, in in the document, the uh, International Health Regulations document, the IHR, Um, The United States provided amendments to this document, and this document affects all of the state parties involved with the IHR. So Joe Biden's not just surrendering the the sovereignty of these United States of America over to these medical, medical tyrants. He is also surrendering the sovereignty of all nations over to the World Health Organization in the event of a World Health Um, emergency. All right. With that said, let's take a look at it. We have the document here. Now, here's something else that we need to consider, guys. Um, This is the amended, the amendments that are being submitted to the World Health Assembly, which is going to convene on May 22nd. At this assembly, all of the nation, the state parties will vote on whether or not to accept these amendments, okay? That's two weeks away from now, guys. Two weeks away from now. This document was submitted to the World Health Organization in January. Do you see how well they have kept this information hidden from us? This is an international treaty that impedes or invades on nations' sovereignty, okay? So while we're distracted with everything else, there's bigger things cooking in the background. Um, Now, we are going to read through this document because I am willing to bet, just like myself, none of us even have heard of this or know what's in it. And I think it is imperative that we know. Okay, so this is um, these are the amendments as proposed by the United States of America to the World Health Organization for the international health regulations. Okay, and that is um, um, for the states parties involved with the IHR, but as well as with the World Health Organization. Now, we're not going to go through that. See, January 20th, guys, is when this was uh, uh, submitted or penned. Uh, This here also is just uh, the uh, opening statement from um, um, Biden, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Or the World Health Organization. Okay, so it's just this is this is the letter they're sending to all of the um, the state parties, all of the nations that are involved in this. All right. So here we go. Okay, so just so you know, um, if it is bold underline, then that is brand new text. And if it's being deleted, then there is a strike through. 
Article 5 of the IHR, each state party shall develop, strengthen, and maintain as soon as possible but no later than five years from the entry into force of these regulations for the state party, the capacity to detect, assess, notify, and report events in accordance with these regulations as specified in Annex 1. This capacity will be periodically reviewed through the Universal Health Periodic Review Mechanism should such review identify resource constraints and other challenges in attaining these capacities, the World Health Organization and its regional offices shall, upon the request of a state party, provide or facilitate technical support and assist in mobilization of financial resources to develop, strengthen, and maintain such capacities. The World Health Organization shall develop early warning criteria for assessing and progressively updating the national, regional, or global risk posed by an event of unknown causes or sources and shall convey this risk assessment to the state's parties in accordance with Articles 11 and 45 where appropriate. The risk assessment shall indicate, based on the best available knowledge, the level of risk of potential spread and risks of potential serious public health impacts based on assessed infectiousness and the severity of the illness, right? So they're going to assess all of this, right? And we're talking about, oh, is another COVID-19 outbreak? What is another, uh, is another a pandemic level event? Notification. Each state party shall assess events occurring within its territory by using the decision instrument in Annex 2 within 48 hours of the national IHR focal point receiving the relevant information. Each state party shall notify the World Health Organization by the most efficient means of communication available by way of the national IHR focal point and within 24 hours of assessment of public health information of all events which may continue um, constitute a public health emergency of international concern within its territory in accordance with the decision um, instrument, as well as any health measure implemented in response to those events. So you have to report, guys, you have to report. If the notification received by WHO involves the competency of the International Atomic Energy Agency, the Food and Agricultural Organization, the World Organizations for Animal Health, Uh, the UN Environmental Program or other relevant entities who shall immediately notify the relevant entities. See, all of these these centralized world um, uh, organization type things that they got going on for animal health, for agricultural and food organization, for environmental programs, they are already consolidating as much as they can into a centralized world order. Um, Following a notification, a state party shall continue to communicate to the World Health Organization by the most efficient means of communication available, timely, accurate, and sufficiently detailed public health information um, um, available to it on the notified event where possible, including genetic sequence data, and that's new, genetic sequence data, case definitions, laboratory results, source and type of risk, number of cases and deaths, conditions affecting the spread of the disease and the health measures employed, and report when necessary the difficulties faced and support needed in responding to the potential public health emergency of international concern. Uh, Now, this is highlighted because it's important. Other reports. 
the World Health Organization may take into account reports from sources other than notifications or consultations and shall assess these reports according to established epidemiological principles and then communicate information on the event to the state party in whose territory the event is allegedly occurring. The World Health Organization shall make the information receivable, available, received available to the state's parties and only where it is duly justified may the World Health Organization maintain the confidentiality of the source. Okay, so what did they strike out? It says, before taking any action based on such reports, the World Health Organization shall consult with and attempt to obtain verification from the state party in whose the territory the event is allegedly occurring in accordance with the procedure set forth in Article 10. That means that once you notify them, okay, they will no longer make an attempt uh, to consult with the affected or infected nation, okay? Okay, they're not going to do that anymore. Rather, they are going to share your information with all of the other nations, okay? They're, they're not going to have a consultation with you, okay? They're going to share that information with the rest of the world, right? And I'm sure that will help drum up more fear and more cause for them to be involved, I'm sure. Uh, verification. Within 24 hours of receiving information, the World Health Organization shall request verification from a state party of reports from sources other than notifications or consultations of events which may constitute a public health emergency of international concern allegedly occurring in the state's territory. In such cases, the WHO shall inform the state party concerned regarding the reports if it is seeking to verify. Okay. So again, they're striking out Article 9 here because they are no longer going to consult. They're going to act. Pursuant to the foregoing paragraph, each state party or nation, when requested by the World Health Order, shall verify and provide within 24 hours an initial reply to or acknowledgement of the request from the WHO. Within 24 hours, available public health information on the status of events referred to in the WHO's request and information to the WHO in the context of an assessment under Article 6, including relevant information as described in paragraphs 1 and 2. When uh, the WHO receives information of an event that may constitute a public health emergency of international concern, it shall offer within 24 hours to collaborate with the state party concerning in assessing the potential for international disease spread, possible interference with international traffic, and the adequacy of control measures. Such activities may include collaboration with other standard-setting organizations and to offer to mobilization interna mobilize international assistance in order to support the national authorities in conducting and coordinating on-site assessments. So basically, within 24 hours, you know, and there's actually another article of a little further down in these amendments that addresses this specifically. Uh, they're talking about international travel. They're talking about, you know, international agencies and their involvement with it as well so that the uh, disease does not spread. All right, here's another important piece of this, guys. Within 24 hours of receiving a World Health Organization offer of collaboration, the state may request additional information supporting the offer. The World Health Organization shall provide such information within 24 hours when 48 hours have elapsed since the initial WHO offer of collaboration. 
failure by the state party to accept the offer of collaboration shall constitute rejection for the purposes of sharing available information with states parties under paragraph four of this section. If the state party does not accept the offer of collaboration within 20, within 48 hours, the WHO shall, when justified by the magnitude of the public health risk, immediately share with other states parties the information available to it, whilst encouraging the state party to accept the offer of collaboration by the World Health Organization. So this is, again, the United States does not want to get involved with this. The United States says to the World Health Organization, look, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's, it's a seasonal flu on steroids. We don't need to shut down the United States, and it's not going to infect the rest of the world, says the United States to the World Health Organization. Well, the World Health Organization is not going to get with you and try and work with you. They are going to make their own assessment, according to uh, paragraph four right here. It is, if it is justified by the magnitude of the public health risk, according to the World Health Organization, you as a nation lose your privacy rights and we get the rest of the world to bully you into what? Accepting the offer to collaborate with the World Health Organization. So obviously these here are talking about more of like the privacy and keeping, you know, the um, um, keeping that information retained within the nation, right? Self-contained. So it's, eh, this doesn't sound like a, a takeover yet by any means, right? Uh, let's keep on moving on, guys. Uh, provisions of information by the World Health Organization. Subject to paragraph two of this article, the World Health Organization shall send to all states parties and as appropriate to relevant intergovernmental organizations as soon as possible and by the most efficient means available in confidence such public health information which it has received under article five to ten inclusive or which is available in the public domain and which is necessary to enable states parties to respond to a public health risk. The World Health Organization shall communicate information to other states parties that might help them in preventing the occurrence of similar incidents. The World Health Organization shall use information received under Article 6, 8, and 9 for verification assessment and assistance purposes under these regulations and unless otherwise agreed with the state's parties referred to in those provisions, shall make this information generally available to other state's parties when the event is determined to con uh, constitute a public health emergency of international concern in accordance with Article 12, or information evidencing that the international spread of the infection or contamination has been confirmed by the World Health Organization in accordance with established epidemiological principles or that there is evidence that control measures against the international spread are unlikely to succeed because of the nature of the contamination, disease agent, vector, or reservoir, or the state party lacks sufficient operational capacity to carry out necessary measures to prevent further spreads of disease or the nature and scope of the international movement of travelers, baggage, cargo, containers, conveyances, goods, or postal parcels that may be affected by the infection or contamination requires the immediate application of international controls or measures. The World Health Organization determines it is necessary that such information be made available to other states' parties to make informed, timely risks. The World Health Organization shall inform the state party in whose territory the event is occurring 
as to its intent to make information available under this article. When information received by the World Health Organization under paragraph 2 of this article is made available to the state's parties in accordance with these regulations, the World Health Organization shall make it available to the public if other information about the same event has already become publicly available and there is a need for the dissemination of authoritative and independent information. So states lose all their rights of privacy and self-containment and you have the world to deal with and the legacy media should they still be around, right? Um, the World Health Organization shall uh, annually report to the Health Assembly, which is again occurring in two weeks, on all activities under this article, including instances of sharing information that has not been verified by a state party on whose territory an event that may constitute a health emergency of international concern is or is allegedly occurring with the state's parties through alert systems. Article 12, determination of a public health emergency of international concern. Okay, now this is the article where we lose our, um, we lose our sovereignty, guys, in the event of a public health emergency of international concern, but also a public health emergency of regional concern, right? Not just international, but also of intermediate health alerts. What's an intermediate health alert, right? Doesn't, that does not sound like a pandemic, right? Uh, the director general shall determine on the basis of information received, in particular from the state party in whose territory an event is occurring, whether an event constitutes a public health emergency of international concern in accordance with the criteria and the procedure set out in these regulations. Now, there's a later uh, amendment that talks about the director general. In other words, you know, state parties within this IHR agreement, they have to have someone from their nation that represents their state party, that they are the director general. Okay. So if you get someone like, I don't know, Dr. Fauci in this position, or if you get someone like that, uh, who's that, that Worskowski person, that that CDC director in this position, I'm sure uh, in good faith, they'll be honest and handle things accordingly, right? No, no, uh, no types of agendas here, right? N nothing ulterior, motively speaking, right? Article 2 state, I mean, paragraph 2 of Article 12 states, if the director general considers, based on an assessment under these regulations, that a potential or actual public health emergency of international concern is occurring, the director general shall notify all state parties and seek to consult with the state party in those territories in whose territory the event arises regarding this preliminary determination and may, in accordance with the procedure set forth in Article 49, seek the views of the committee established under Article 48, here and after the emergency committee. If the director general determines that the event constitutes a public health emergency of international concern, the director general shall, in accordance with procedure set forth in Article 49, seek the views of the emergency committee on appropriate recommendations. Now, what did they strike out? The state party is in agreement regarding this determination. Okay? So that means the United States has no power to disagree with what has been determined by an international agency or international um, government or the entire party, because up to this point, guys, up to this point, 
It's been all about stripping away the privacy and letting the international community know about what's going on. And then going on to even saying that they're going to let the public know, right? So the United States of America essentially would not be able to disagree with what they have determined. And they will come in and they will act and they will do as they please. Now, interesting enough, now, like I said, this is, these are amendments to the 2005 International Health Regulation Agreement, okay, that we're signed up to. So through omission, they are removing our sovereignty. And that's why the line has been struck through right there, guys. So, I mean, it's, it's all within bed. It's all embedded within the text as it always is, right? And all of this uh, legal, legal mumbo jumbo jargon, right? What it is that they're actually doing, okay? And if the state party um, cannot determine whether or not they agree with the determination, with the, uh, with the diagnosis of this health emergency, they have nothing that they can do about it at this point, Particularly if this is voted on and passed, right? And then if it is codified um, a, few, a, a few months after that, six months after the vote of acceptance that this becomes law. And then I think it says um, a year to two years before it's forced. So uh, here's something else that they struck out. Uh, if, the follow, if following the consultation in paragraph two above... The director general and the state party in whose territory the event arises do not come to a consensus within 48 hours on whether the event constitutes a public health emergency of international concern. A determination shall be made in accordance with the procedure set forth in Article 49. Okay, so, you know, I was kind of like, well, what's Article 49, right? And is that amended here in this uh, document? Now, this is obviously struck out because... Paragraph two says, we don't even need you to agree with us. So, you know, they, they don't need any of this language anymore. Uh, it says here, in determining whether an event constitutes a public health emergency of international concern, the director general shall cons consider information provided by the state party, by other states' parties, available in the public domain or otherwise available under Articles 5 through 10. Okay, so, uh, so they don't agree with the United States of America, the state party, but the Director General for the United States of America will be able to consider information that's provided by other states' parties and other information in the public domain. I mean, I don't understand how that helps a nation that has disagreed with their assessment. Uh, the decision contained in Annex 2, the, device, uh, the advice of the Emergency Committee, okay, scientific principles as well as available scientific evidence, right? We all saw how well the science worked for us during COVID-19 and the vaccine, right, um, rollout, an assessment to the risk of human health, of the risk of international spread of disease, and of the risk of interference with international traffic, if the Director General, following consultation with the Emergency Committee and relevant states' parties, considers that a public health emergency of international concern has ended, the Director General shall take a decision uh, in accordance with the procedure set out in Article 49. Now, here's some more new stuff. Where an event has not been determined to meet the criteria for a public health emergency of international concern, but the Director General has determined it requires heightened international awareness and a potential international public health response, the Director General, on the basis of information received, may determine at any time to issue an intermediate public health alert to the state's parties, 
and may consult the emergency committee in a manner consistent with the procedure set out in Article 49. A regional director may determine that an event constitutes a public health emergency of regional concern and provide related guidance to the state's parties in the region either before or after notification of an event that may constitute a public health emergency of international concern made to the director general who shall inform all states' parties. Okay, so um, let's skip down to Article 49 because it is amended. Because I was like, well, this emergency committee, they seem so important to the process, right? So, um, procedure, it says. If the emergency committee is not unanimous in its findings, any member shall be entitled to express his or her dissenting professional views in an individual group, uh, uh, individual or group report, which shall state the reasons why a divergent opinion is held shall inform the party of the emergency committee's report. The composition of the emergency committee and its complete report shall be shared with member states. The director general shall invite affected state parties, including the state party in whose territory the event arises. Okay, so this is about uh, the state's parties and the communication and uh, coordinating with the emergency committee, right? Um, Affected states parties uh, may propose to the director general the termination of a public health emergency of international concern and or temporary recommendations and make a presentation to that effect to the emergency committee. Um, and that's the compliance committee. So let me see here. And 48 was another one that was mentioned. Uh, the emergency committee shall be composed of experts. Okay, so this is where it's talking about how the director general has to be a representative of that nation uh, state or that uh, state party. Um, that they will also have a regional directors group the director general shall determine the duration of membership with viewing ensuring uh, its continuity in the consideration of a specific event and its consequences. Uh, and then apparently th how they're going to choose these people based on age, gender, geographical representation, and it has to be based on the principles of equity. Okay. Okay. So let's hop back up because apparently that is um, how you say administrative, right? Administrative. Uh, public health response. Um, so they strike out at the request of the state party. Okay. It's a, and they also strike out the word collaborate. The World Health Organization shall offer assistance to a state party in the response to public health risks and other events by providing technical guidance and assistance and by assessing the effectiveness of the control measures in place, including the immobilization of international teams of experts for on-site assistance when necessary. The state party shall accept or reject such an offer for assistance within 48 hours and in the case of rejection of such an offer shall provide to the World Health Organization its rationale for the rejection, which the World Health Organization shall share with other states' parties. If the World Health Organization, in consultation with the state's parties concerned as provided in Article 12, determines that a public health emergency of international concern is occurring, it shall offer, in addition to the support indicated in paragraph 3 of the article, further assistance to the state party, including 
an assessment of the severity of the international risk and the adequacy of control measures. Such collaborations may include the offer to mobilize international assistance in order to support the national authorities in conducting and coordinating on-site assessments, which means they're going to be in your country assessing and coordinating when requested by the state party, the World Health Organization shall provide information supporting such an offer. The state party shall accept or reject such an offer of assistance within 48 hours and in the case of rejection of such an hour shall provide to the World Health Organization its rationale for the rejection, which who the WHO shall share with other states parties regarding on-site assessments in compliance with its national law. A state party shall make reasonable efforts to facilitate short-term access to relevant sites. In the event of a denial, it shall provide its rationale for the denial of access. Temporary recommendations may include the deployment of expert teams as well as health measures to be implemented by the state party experiencing the public health emergency of international concern or by other states' parties regarding persons, baggage, cargo, containers, conveyances, goods, and or postal parcels to prevent or reduce the international spread of disease and avoid unnecessary interference with international traffic. So all of this is jargon, guys. That's basically going back to you have a world health emergency. They're going to start sending teams into your country. They're going to start doing assessments. They're going to start spreading your information throughout the international community. Okay, you cannot disagree with them if they have had their own discovery, right? They struck that from the agreement. Uh, so all of this stands for basically them coming in now. One might wonder, is that a bit of a stretch to say that they're, you know, they're lopping off, you know, one's uh, nation's ability to agree or disagree with the World Health Organization? Does that constitute a takeover of the nation's sovereignty if the World Health Organization or such international agencies has the ability to do that by way of mere assessment and determination? then I would ask you if it was a stretch for the nation to be locked down for about two years, to have masks mandated on them, to have uh, vaccines mandated on them, to a point that it was as if though the people of this nation did not own their own sovereignty, okay, but we were all forced into compliance. Now, that's something that we never thought would see. That was like almost extreme end of the bargain, the deal, right? You know? Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's a complete joke that we to this day still have to file lawsuits uh, and still have to file injunctions to get our rights back that we already had, right? They never should have been taken away to begin with. But the door was opened because of uh, emergency planning and emergency authorizations that this stuff was allowed to go through. Now, imagine, you know, uh, the United States is like, no, we don't have a need for you guys to come in here, it's not that big of a threat, but you know what? I guess like the globalists have their own idea of things, right? You know, uh, whomever it is, right? Whether it be China, Ukraine or China, China, you know, um, or whether it be, uh, it be, um, you know, uh, Bill Gates or whether it be Fauci or whether it be, uh, you know, uh, Klaus Schwab, right? They have, they seem to have their own idea about uh, the way things should go. Article 18 here, recommendations with respect to persons, baggage, cargo, containers, conveyances, goods, and postal parcels uh, has to do about how they are going to enact in the, uh, um, in the, um, 
in the event of an occurrence, right? How they're going to coordinate with other um, world or international agencies. It talks about implementing health measures pursuant to these regulations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Contingency plans, travel restrictions, trade restrictions, the repatriation of travelers, all of that's addressed in here. Then we already went through these rather, um, uh, what do you call it, administrative articles. It was only 10 pages worth of amendments, guys. Uh, that was That's why I decided to go ahead and go through it with you guys, because also, like... Uh, there, there's no telling what else is in the IHR, and that's like dozens of pages, guys. So, you know, um, we'd have to really bone up on that as well to see if there's any more fine points or minutiae here, details that we're not seeing uh, based, on, uh, based on these amendments. These are just the amendments that the United States is offering to the World Health Assembly to vote on again in two weeks, okay? Um the last things it talks about in here, guys, is um, the compliance of it. You know, the compliance of it. Uh, so here we go. Um, when we're talking about whether or not when this gets voted on, once it gets passed, right? If you agree with it as a nation, if you don't agree with it as a nation, what's going to happen to you at that point if you don't agree with it? Uh, so it says the period provided in an execution of Article 22 of the Constitution of the World Health Organization for rejection of or reservation to these regulations shall be 18 months from the date of notification by the director general of the adoption of these regulations. Now, that's in reference to the International Health Regulations Treaty. OK, 18 months. OK, uh, they strike out amendments thereto or. Uh, of an amendment to these regulations, okay? Instead, they have this. The period provided in execution of Article 22 of the Constitution of the World Health Organization for re rejection of or reservation to an amendment to these regulations shall be six months. So it's six months once they voted, whether or not uh, you voted for it, uh, that these these uh, measures will take place. So six months from the date of notification by the general direct director general of the adoption of the amendments to the regulations by the health assembly. Uh, any rejection or reservation received by the director general after the expiry of that period shall have no effect. These regulations shall enter into force 24 months after the date of notification referred to in paragraph one. And amendments shall enter into force six months after the date of notification. Okay. So six months, guys, six months. That means if we are not successful in telling whomever it is that represents us on the general health assembly, uh, you know, as a delegate or whatever to vote no, that all of this will be forced on us in six months. Now, here's the deal, guys. Like I said, it is not just the United States of America, okay? Other nations are calling this out, right? Let's take a look at this article, okay? Biden handing over United States sovereignty to the World Health Organization. All right, here we go. 
On May 22nd through the 28th, 2022, ultimate control over America's healthcare system and hence its national sovereignty will be delivered for a vote to the World Health Organization's governing legislative body, the World Health Assembly. Uh, this threat is contained in new amendments to the World Health Organization's international health regulations proposed by the Biden administration that are scheduled as Provisional Agenda Item 16.2 at the upcoming conference on May 22nd through the 28th, 2022. Uh, these amendments will empower World Health Organization's Director General to declare health emergencies or crises in any nation and to do so unilaterally and against the opposition of the target nation. The Director General will be able to declare these health crises based merely on his personal opinion or consideration that there is a potential or possible threat to other nations. If passed, the Biden administration's proposed amendments will, by their very existence and their intention, drastically compromise the independence and the sovereignty of the United States. The same threat looms over all of the United Nations 193 member nations, all of whom belong to the World Health Organization and represent 99.44% of the world's population. These regulations are a binding instrument of international law entered into force on 15th June 2007. Um, three United Nations member states can be required by law to obey or acquiesce to them. Um, this is how it became official on January 18th, 2022, with no public awareness. Officials from the Biden administration sent the World Health Organization these extensive amendments to strengthen the World Health Organization's ability to unilaterally intervene into the affairs of nations merely suspected of having a health emergency of possible concern to other nations. Uh, the United States amendment cross, amendment, amendments cross out a critical existing restriction in the regulations. The World Health Organization shall consult with and attempt to obtain verification from the state party in whose territory the event is allegedly occurring, right? Remember, we read that strikeout. By eliminating that and other clauses, all the shackles shall be removed from the Director General of the World Health Organization, enabling him to declare health emergencies at will. The amendments would give the World Health Organization the right to take important steps to collaborate with other nations and other organizations worldwide to deal with any nation's alleged health crisis, even against its stated wishes. The power to declare health emergencies is a potential tool to shame, intimidate, and dominate nations, which is why those first few articles that we went through was all about stripping that nation's rights to privacy and dealing with that in its own within its own borders and no the world health organization is like nope we're going to tell the world about it we're going to bully you into a health emergency whether you agree with it or not it can be used to justify ostracism and economic or financial actions against the targeted nation by other nations aligned with the world health organization or who wish to harm and control the accused nation Although sponsored by an American administration, the World Health Organization's most significant use of this arbitrary authority to, de to declare national emergencies will be used against the United States if our government ever again dares to take an anti-globalist stand uh, as, it as it did under the Trump administration. How much time do we have to stop it? The contents of the proposed amendments were not made public until April 12th, 2022. 
leaving little time to protest before the scheduled vote. As noted, the amendments are scheduled and almost certainly will be enacted on May 22nd through the 28th, 2022. The, and, and this talks about the uh, existing WHO regulations gives them 18 months after a yes vote. However, as amended and as we read in the final article, the opportunity is six months. Okay, The proposed amendments reduce that 18-month window to six months. Okay, If the United States-sponsored amendments are passed, a majority of the nations could in the next six months change their individual votes and reverse the approval. But this is a much more difficult proposition than stopping the whole process now. So if I may say the reason why we didn't cover this last night and we covered election integrity measures and we covered the election audits and we covered decertification is because this thing, this sucker is going to pass in two weeks. We have six months from that point to object and to get the world to object. Can we get a decertification in the next six months? Do we understand now the importance, the gravity of our vote, ladies and gentlemen, as being a direct representation of our freedom, our liberty, and our sovereignty? What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The C Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecreport.com. At thecreport.com, you can get more information on The C Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecreport.com, that's www.thecreport.com, and be sure to follow us on our social medias, Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, and Pilt.net. Because if we can get that decertification out there, that which has been totally blackballed by the legacy media, that which they don't want us to know, because the, uh, the evidence is right there in front of them like a big old stinky pile in a doggy bag, we can get the decertification. And if we can get someone like President Trump back in office, if this passes in May, oh, we might still be able to uh, to fight this international agreement, right? And this uh, arbitrary ability to, um, I mean, it's basically, it's basically weaponizing against nations. And you know, it's going to be against anti-globalist nations, right? Can you imagine what they're going to do to Russia, right? They're gonna be like Russia. We're gonna take you over in a heartbeat. You got, you got, uh, you got um, her, uh, her fever going on over there, or something like that. So yeah. So again, they were. Uh, it was written on January twenty sixth, as it states there. It'll be up for vote in two weeks, right? They ha- they had this held down for a long time, guys. It says that they released it on April twelfth, right? Shoot, I didn't find out. I didn't even catch wind of this until last week. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's what all the distractions are out there for, ladies and gentlemen. There's one other I could share with you guys real quick just on this topic. Uh, This is from, uh, let me see here. This is from a European 
a news agency, call to action, the World Health Organization is taking away national sovereignty, okay? So again, they, they are aware of this too in other countries, not just here in America. Um, and, and as it states here, Article 12, Subsection 2 of the agreement, they strike out at, and the state party um, is an agreement regarding determination. It takes that ability to agree with their findings away. In other words, it, it doesn't matter what you assess, okay? It doesn't matter if you figured out that COVID-19 is a uh, flu on steroids. Um, we say it is a medical emergency. It is uh, a world health concern, possible spread and pandemic, right? So we're going to enact everything else that they have, whatever else is within their binding IHR, their international health regulation document. It's, um, I mean, it's, it, that, that is what they are doing there. It's their, their medical tyranny, right? And that's how they're trying to, uh, to um, again, it's always through treaties, guys. It's always through treaties, agreements, financial contracts, et cetera, uh, that you see um, a nation's sovereignties wheedled away, rights wheedled away, et cetera. Uh, so there is that, guys. So, all right. So there we've done it. We've done our due diligence, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for the cookie, Sean Joe. And Ember speech to you. Thank you for the cookie as well. I will not comply, she says. Indeed, indeed. So, well, there you are, guys. Now, why um, why no one else has reported on it is because it was hush-hush, guys. Like, I just happened to... Someone mentioned it to me, and then I, I mentioned it to the audience, and you guys helped me uh, figure out the right direction. Because I think what the only other thing that's going on is, like, I don't know, like... Uh, pharmaceutical provisions or COVID provisions or something. But no, this is way bigger than that, guys. Way bigger than that. Uh, we've seen things like this happen before, where through international treaties, they are trying to take over sovereignty of nations. Uh, we've seen stuff like this before happen. And now we're seeing it again, guys. And obviously, they are using uh, this, this whole pandemic thing as a reason for it. And it makes sense, guys. It makes sense. Because uh, they already got most of the world thinking, well, it's not about me. It's about, it's about uh, you know, taking care of other people. You know, it's about caring for other people, etc. So anyhow, well, there's that, guys. Uh, all right, spread the word. Get, get it out there. And again, the switchboard number, it's, it's on the screen. So you can alert your local representatives. <coughs> now, I realize that they... Uh, probably don't serve on the World Health Assembly, right? Maybe I should dig up and find out who that is that does that, but... Um... <laughs> it's probably Bill Gates. It's probably Bill Gates. Who else is in the chat room? Sonia JHC, what's up, MacGyver? How's it going? Judy the Lady Pug, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for the cookie. So much, thank you so much, Miss Judy the Lady Pug. Justice Song, good to see you again. Good to see you again. Uh, let's see who else. Oh, it's good to see all you guys in the chat room. Rapture ready. Good evening. Anno 1971. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Glad you guys... Hey, Awakened Mom, how are you doing? Obama opened the door for the United Nations to enter our country and place offices throughout the country based on his executive order on crimes against humanity. Ain't that crazy? He used it as he used crimes against humanity as a Trojan horse. That is just that's despicable. 
That is despicable, ladies and gentlemen, despicable. All right, guys, we only got a couple of stories before we wrap up tonight. Thanks again for hanging out. I see us, uh, I see us closing shop here in about 20 minutes or so. Um, the rest will be some election stories of note, ladies and gentlemen. Election stories of note, because again... As a, who is it, D-Patriot 1776, it said, elections have consequences, right? Isn't it crazy how true that line reads out? It just resounds in this day and age, ladies and gentlemen. It resounds loudly. It rings truly, okay? So uh, the Electronic Registration Information Center, which I usually refer to as the Election Rigging Information Center, um, you guys might have heard about it. Now, Eric is coming up a lot right now, uh, particularly uh, the graphic I had on prior to this one uh, uh, regarding voter registration. Now, as we covered with um, uh, as we as we as we shared, not cut, well, covered, yeah, uh, with the um, the New Mexico um, election audit yesterday. Um, as we've shared with the, uh, it was the Indiana canvas, the Missouri canvas, right? With all the canvases that have transpired and all the audits that have transpired, one of the biggest things, uh, one of the main factors that is always standing out has to do with the voter registration rolls, right? And, and the, um, the numbers of voters, the information therein. And so uh, um, that is constantly coming up, right? Why is it that we have uh, dead voters voting? Why do we have missing voters? Uh, why do we have, uh, you know, houses that have like 30 people living there? Why do we have people that are, you know, hundreds of people that are registered at, you know, the local post office as a residency, you know, or at, at the, the empty, uh, you know, um, lot over there, right? What is going on here, right? Why is it that in Wisconsin, they found like over 2000 voters had the exact same phone number? Okay, who's in charge of these voter registration rolls? Well, you know, traditionally and per the usual and by law, that goes back into the states and the counties, etc., of handling their voter registration rolls. Uh, now, as far as Eric is concerned, again, the election regi electronic registration, election rigging information center. Uh, a lot of information has come out about Eric in regards to how they are quite possibly assisting in the rigging of elections, okay? Now, um, there was an interview with uh, two of the auditors from the New Mexico audits that I saw earlier today. And I entertained showing the interview, but I mean, for, for the sake of time, we're not. Um, but finally, finally, someone in a position, right, of knowledge and experience has finally validated my theory, okay? And my theory as such was this. The Electronic Registration Information Center quite frequently implodes or expands the voter registration rolls in states because when the need comes for whatever forces that rig elections to have, oh, I don't know, a surplus of two or 3,000 voters, the Electronic Registration Information Center can turn and turn off those voter accounts. Case in point, in Wisconsin, they have, um, uh, I think, four, 400 million or something like that of uh, population. I, I know I'm wrong, but but they have over, they have like, uh, say, say, for example, 4 million population 
but they have 7.2 million people on their voter rolls. So how does it make sense? How do they have like 3 million plus more people registered to vote than there is an actual voting population, you know? And that's Eric, okay? Now, incidentally, after True the Vote came out, the Wisconsin Election Commission removed all of their voter roll information so that you can no longer see that there's 7.2 million individuals on their voter rolls and there's only like 4 million people there, you know? So, and I know that that number is like uh, 4 million registered voters, but anyways, so that w- that's always been my theory, right? My theory's always been, well, you know, uh, if we're going to drop X amount of extra ballots and as we've gone through all these audits and investigations, we're finding some cases where you get like 100% of the vote or you get an overvote. There's more votes than people in the county. Where are they getting these uh, voters from, right? Uh, how, where are they just pulling them out of their hat? Well, you know, that's what you got Eric for. Eric is there to find potential voters and add them to the roster, not to clean out voter rolls, not to perform maintenance, but to find potential voters. And they inflate the state's voter rolls. And then when needed, they have names, addresses, etc., to fill in the gaps of those unlawful ballots that are falling into the laps of clerk workers and election poll workers. Another interesting factoid that I found out in that interview about Eric, besides the validation of my theory, um, and and I will give myself a slice of cake for that coming true tonight after dinner. Um, Another interesting factoid is that apparently the Eric system... um, also maintains uh, several different font handwriting styles, okay, that it can use to imitate a handwritten signature. Why would Eric need to do that? In fact, why, why is that even a thing? Because we also found out in the New Mexico audit report that um, apparently these ballot devices that are typically intended for disabled voters, right? Uh, They can't see, they can't write, etc. These ballot devices can actually fill out ballots. That's right. So they don't just scan ballots and record the image. They are actually capable of printing and filling out the ballots, which means if these things can be accessed, you know, remotely and you have, a, a, you know, a bad actor in, in play here, they could potentially start filling out as many ballots as they want unlawfully with uh, genuine looking signatures from the Eric database. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, you have yourselves a stolen and a rigged election. How interesting some of the things that we're finding out as we go on through these audits and investigations. Darth Q369, thank you for the cookie. Much appreciated. And Pill by the Rabbit, what's up, buddy? Great, Scott, I haven't seen you in a while. Thank you for the chocolate chip and mixed nuts. Much appreciated. All right. So, uh, Eric, guys, gots to go. Gots to go. It's in like 30 states. It used to be in 31 states. Louisiana recently dropped them as uh, as a, uh, a vendor. But uh, that was for a very political reason. Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with election integrity. It had to do with the fact that the current SOS in Louisiana wanted to wants to win his election and his opponent was calling him out for getting them involved in the Eric system. Mm, That's why not because of election integrity, not by any means. Okay, so Eric states won't provide lists that update voter registration. We have to demand them. 
Okay, so um, these are this is a graph of states that need the data. Okay, and pending state cases. Uh, the Eric Voter Registration Nonprofit says their sole mission is assisting states to improve the accuracy of voter rolls and increase access to voter registration. Most now know the first part is not true. A coordinated effort should be made to collect the reports or the lists that Eric has been providing to its member states. Below is some guidance on why and how to obtain these lists. On these reports... Uh, these lists, only until they are analyzed will the public know what's happening with those voter rolls. Eric provides five types of reports or lists to their members. Uh, the members must ask Eric for each report as frequently as monthly, but Eric operates like a secret black box. A state makes a report request. Days later, their report is ready for download. That election jurisdiction has little idea how these reports were created or if they contain any bias. Under the federal 1993 NVRA law, voter list maintenance must be provided to the public, yet every ERIC member state refuses public access to these reports. Here are the reports. Um, eligible residents who have not yet registered to vote, called eligible but unregistered. Registered voters who voted multiple times in the same election. Registered voters who may have died in other states. Registered voters with multiple voter IDs in the member state. Registered voters who move inside the state, move outside, and register in another state or submitted new NCOA address info to the United States Postal Service. Um, list number one contains the names of eligible but unregistered voters. The remaining four reports, number two through five, help clean the voter rolls. Eric has made it clear they do not care one iota if a state requests these four voter roll cleaning reports. A good example of this is in Wisconsin. In their first 4.5 years as an Eric member, Wisconsin could have requested 216 reports to clean their voter rolls. They only requested three. Eric then hires the lady who oversaw this Wisconsin state voter registration mess for 14 years. Eric does not care if these four lists get requested or utilized. What that paragraph is saying and what was um, reported by the Gateway Pundit and reiterated by Michael Gableman in his, um, his um, election investigation is that um, no, one, no one in the states actively seek these reports, even though they're supposed to, okay? Uh, no one makes these requests of um, of Eric, as we've seen in previous reports here at the Sea Report about Eric, uh, like two times, one time, zero times. Some states don't even request these uh, reports from Eric. Uh, uh, but this last part here, uh, specifically in regards to Wisconsin, Eric hired the Wisconsin Election Commission administrator. Right. The one that does not want to go talk with Michael Gableman in his office. OK, the one that oversaw the fraud and encouraged um, encouraged um, um, the uh, the uh, nursing homes to allow their uh, their residents to have their ballots harvested. That same person works for Eric. OK, she works for the same uh, same organization, guys. So very, very shady right there. Um, Eric does, however, seem to care about the first list. Uh, 
the first list, um, oh, it, it mandates with lengthy contract language that members use list number one. That is the eligible unregistered voters list of people must be solicited to register for voting. Like all the reports, list number one is created in secrecy by Eric for each state. What if list number one was obtained from several states and then found to contain mostly left-leaning citizens? This would show Eric has required states to solicit mostly Democrats for voter registration. What if these lists target demographics or geographic areas like the uh, Center for Tech and Civic Life did in Wisconsin? Or it targets illegal aliens? Reports number two through five are citizens Eric's suggests our citizens, Eric suggests, be removed from the voter rolls. What if these reports are found to contain mostly right-leaning citizens? Above are just a few of the reasons why the Eric reports must be obtained and analyzed. Also, the Eric reports number two through five requested by a state must be tested against voter rolls dated after those reports. This will show if Eric reports are actually being applied to those voter rolls. Uh, so here's some action steps. Uh, the Public Interest Legal Foundation has sued um, Washington, D.C., Alaska, Colorado, and Louisiana to obtain specific ERIC list maintenance reports. This letter asking Alaska for ERIC reports is a good template to contact the other 27 ERIC member states. Ask those election officials for ERIC list maintenance data from 2016 onward or whatever is available. The information in Exhibits A, B, and C can help your group get up to speed. The Alaska letter asks only for deceased voter lists. However, you should demand all reports your state has obtained from ERIC, especially the eligible but unregistered voter report. And there is that uh, letter there, guys. Why states don't release ERIC reports? Election officials hide behind their ERIC contract that says the release of reports requires a court order. This Becker-type language was included so election officials can keep serfs and peasants from accessing the truth. No reputable lawyer for state election officials should have allowed this language in any ERIC contract. It violates the public disclosure provision of the 1993 NVRA Act, or the NVR Act, um, Makes you make your election officials go on record protecting reports from the three employee Eric nonprofit, uh, or the 501c3. Uh, or election officials can follow the Federal Public Disclosure Provision Act of 1993, the National Voter Registration Act. Act, as one court st uh, stated in 2018, the public disclosure provision was crafted to ensure election officials fulfill their list maintenance duties. The law clearly conveys it was Congress' intention that the public monitor the voter rolls and adequacy of elections officials' list maintenance programs. They also say the list maintenance data must be available to any member of the public. Some election officials claim the Federal Drivers Privacy Protection Act prevents releasing any ERIC lists. This, too, is a sleight of hand to fend off the peasants. The state provide Eric their public voter registration data and also their privacy protected DMV MVD data. The Eric system merges the two together to create a better voter profile. The member state allowed the data to be commingled in the first uh, first place so they can unmingle it too. They only need to delete the data columns that contain 
privacy information like driver's license number or social security number, and then they can release it to the public. The article goes on to talk about alternatives to ERIC. Election jurisdiction can leave ERIC and deploy almost the identical technology themselves. The data matching software used by ERIC is available as a free trial from Senzing, but then requires a few hundred dollars monthly subscription fee. Jurisdiction can obtain USPS licenses for uh, NCOA link and access change of address or data directly from USPS. Oddly, only 30 states require the use of NCOA. Election jurisdictions can go through the NIST LADMF certification process and access the death master's file from the SSA. Many organizations like Ancestry.com have this access, as does Eric. Enhanced alternatives to cleaning voter rolls include newer integrity services like Fractal Voter Registry Systems out of Texas. FPEIS has tremendous potential, including daily monitoring of voter registration systems to catch anomalies. The FPEIS team found that the many SOS offices simply don't know how bad their voter rolls are. Uh, Below are some micro apps they use to help detect registration fraud. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, there you go as far as that goes. Uh, This here, the Pew Center on the States and uh, the David Becker guy, these are the guys who got... um, Eric into the system. Okay. And, uh, it was, it was originally proposed in early two thousands and was rejected. And then it came back again later and, uh, they targeted, um, uh, Democrat States, left-leaning States for that purpose, guys. And, uh, when they had enough, um, when they had enough States on board, oh, I apologize. When they had enough states on board, member states on board, they started spreading it to all the other states. And so now you have like 30 of them on here, guys, that are uh, wanting to do this. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to take us to our final story for tonight. Thanks for hanging out here at the Sea Report with me, Mr. C, your host, also known as Michael Aaron Gossett. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm glad you guys have been having a good time out there in the chat field. The chat field, chat land, chat room. Uh, you guys know what I mean. Um, all right, last story for tonight. California mail-in ballots. Ooh, found in a park in Hollywood. Oh, what's up with that, guys? Uh-uh-uh. Do you think this was from the recall election, right? They, they found a missing uh, bundle of, uh, of, um, of ballots. Well, maybe not. It might be an upcoming election. Hmm. Postal Service investigating after mail-in ballots found discarded on Hollywood sidewalk. The U.S. Postal Service in Los Angeles County Registrar's Office said they are investigating an incident where a woman allegedly found a box containing 104 unopened mail-in ballots on a sidewalk over the weekend in Hollywood. Um, Our office was notified over the weekend of a mail tray found containing approximately 104 unopened outbound vote-by-mail ballots and additional mail pieces. The L.A. County Registrar's Office told local media outlets in a statement on Monday evening. Thanks to the cooperation of the person who found the ballots, we were able to quickly respond and coordinate the secure pickup of the ballots. The office said that early signs suggest that an incident, uh, that the incident was mail theft and wasn't a directed attempt at disrupting the election. Sure. 
The county's primary election is set for June 7th. How do we know it was mail theft? How do we know it wasn't a corrupt frickin' post worker? Since you can read through the ballots and figure out who they are and just toss them, right? New ballots were reissued to impacted voters according to the statement. The office is also now cooperating with the U.S. Postal Service and law enforcement to investigate the matter. No period. Also in its statement, the office said that security protocols such as signature verification are in place to protect against any misuse or wrongdoing in dealing with mail-in ballots. The ballots were discovered by Christine, Christina Rapici, um, who was walking her dog on Saturday evening in East Hollywood. She says, I turned the corner and I just saw this box of envelopes and it was a USPS box. I picked some envelopes up and I saw they were ballots. She says she calls the sheriff department and uh, she says she couldn't get through. So she emailed them and their response was basically that in so many words, it was not their problem and to contact the USPS. The woman did so, and she eventually uh, contacted the county registrar's office, and they contacted her back, and they contacted registrar Dean Logan, and uh, he personally drove uh, to obtain the ballots from Rapici, or Rapici, whatever. Um, Let's see here. It was so much stress for just one person to get back to me. What do I do here? Now it happens to someone else. They don't know what to do, he said. They'll just uh, put them in a dumpster or throw them in the trash. I just don't think that it should have been this hard to figure out what to do with legal ballots. This is a country of freedom and our votes should matter. And something like this should never happen. Oh, well, let's talk to you about uh, the 2020 election, dear Registrar Dean Logan. (laughs) Let's talk to you a little bit about something called the 2020 election coup, right? All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap for tonight. Thank you for hanging out with me and us over here at the Sea Report. If you were with us on pill.net or the foxhole.app, many thanks. And thank you for the gold pill donations and for being a great audience tonight. And if you're joining us over at um, Twitch, Clout Hub, or Rumble, uh, please make sure to follow and subscribe to the show. And uh, actually, you know, for you folks over there at Foxhole and Pilled uh, and at Clout Hub, I would say uh, head on over to our Rumble page uh, because over there we have um, show clips that we do. So, you know, um, I always say to you guys, share the information, share the information. But uh, when it comes to um, say you want to share this report about that basket of envelopes with your friends in California and then you have to send them over a three hour episode and you tell them, well, you have to fast forward two hours to the end. Well, if you go over to our Rumble page, we're clipping out our episodes. So uh, uh, maybe there's a particular story that you'd like to share and you don't want uh, a long-winded Mr. C about it. You'll get yourself a nice five to ten minute clip there. um, Or you'll get yourself a nice two or three, however many minutes the clip is. It won't be two or three hours long. It's much more digestible. It's much more social media friendly, shareable. Uh, So yeah, um, stop into our Rumble account and follow and share and give us a thumbs up, guys. Give us a thumbs up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap. Thank you again for hanging out tonight. I'm going to go ahead and release the scratching over at the foxhole.app. All of you guys are lovely, lovely, lovely. Good to see you. Raven2000 coming in a little late there. Good to see you in the audience. And uh, let me see if there's anyone else new that stopped in. Well, it's been great to see all of you guys just the same, ladies and gentlemen.
<laughs> Awakened mom. Ooh, the scandal. Uh, obviously, a paid drug addict was too high to pick it up in a timely manner, right? Ooh, man. They're going to they're gonna have to answer to the, uh, the ballot trafficking bosses, right? They're going to be like, where are the ballots? That's right. You get no rocks today. Okay, guys. We're out. We're out. We're out. Thank you again, guys. We'll be back. Um later right uh when is later is it tomorrow is it the day after next is it uh later uh, we'll be back we'll see you guys again shortly thanks again for joining us i've been your host mr c as always and uh we'll talk to you guys later and 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 as always be safe and be blessed and god bless america we will see you later bye